0: Living your life one quarter mile at a time, the life of a fractional sweet, sweet executive with today's amazing guest, Colin Sandberg. Today's episode is brought to you by Thrivecart. Need a shopping cart, but don't want to pay monthly fees? Thrivecart is the perfect place to start your journey. When they first started, I didn't think they'd go the distance. Now I have an account. Yes, I've got egg on my face. See how easy Thrivecart makes it to sell digital products? front slash Thrivecart are you tired of dealing with your boss do you feel underpaid and underappreciated if you want to make it online fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now then you come to the right place welcome to the artificial intelligence podcast where you will learn how to use artificial intelligence to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep presented live from a tropical island in the south pacific by best-selling author jonathan green now here's your host Now, coming from the world of AI, there's a whole new discussion. We haven't even determined what the terms are going to be. Is it going to be CAIO or CIO or CAO? And will it be fractional AIO or fractional CIO? I I think that's too many letters, F-C-A-I-O. It's like five letters. It's not even a shortening anymore. But (laughs) it's this brand new area where people are trying to figure out, because every company is getting this directive. And I'm sure you've heard this. The board of directors goes, hey, we need AI. Invent AI, you have 12 months to add AI. And the CEO goes, well, I don't know how to do that because there were no AI experts a year ago. And the biggest shift on LinkedIn right now is people adding AI stuff to their profiles. Like everyone's sending an AI consultant and AI expert. And now there's this new room of the fractional AI. And no one really knows what that means. So I'd love to talk to someone. I'm really excited to have you here with your experience on the other side of being a different type of fractional C-suite executive. So if we could even start with How did you kind of come into that and maybe even talk about definitions? Because what's the difference between a fractional and a consultant? I think a lot of people need to start there.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so um, to your point, you know, from my background, uh, there's a lot of, you know, I come from the space really of fractional CFO is kind of currently where I live. That's been around for probably the longest. And on the heels of that, I feel like there was a lot of growth in the fractional COO. And, you know, the way I look at the fractional, I think different people are probably going to have a different, you know, explanation, but from the way I look at it, the fractional space is really when you have a very high level need and you either don't need or can't afford to have it a hundred percent of the time. Right. And, and in the AI space where things are so hot, it may be that you can't get it a hundred percent of the time, even if you wanted to pay for it and could pay for it. Um, and so really that's where a lot of the, you know, Uh, fractional concept in my mind comes from is there's a small portion of the work that's very high level and you're that person's coming in they're knocking out that one slice and then they're getting out of there and letting the day-to-day of the company the boring stuff uh, keep going without them
0: and how does that differentiate from a consultant like how does someone know oh i want a fractional cfo versus we need an accountant or we need a bookkeeper part-time or an accountant who just looks at the book once a month where's the delineation
1: yeah, no, that that's yeah. also a great question. So I think the delineation in my mind is there's a difference between a consultant who's telling you what to do and someone who's fractional who's actually in there doing it. And in the the consultant space, you know, consultants they've got a, a deck that they've put together, they've got a a plan that they've put together. It might be great, and they might have all the right ideas, but for the most part, they're getting paid to generate ideas, not execute. And really in that fractional space, there's a different depth within the company that you're you're working. You're typically engaging directly with other employees uh, beyond maybe just the, the CEO or the board uh, who hired you. You're actually engaging as if you're an employee of the company. It's just happening in a, a smaller portion
0: of time. So for a lot of people are kind of thinking about, well, I'm an AI expert, do I want to be an AI agency, an AI consultant, or fractional AIO? How can they kind of separate the three ideas in their mind? Because when I think of agency, I think of, we do it all outside. You say you want something done. We set up the whole systems. We run it for you. Like we set up an AI marketing campaign or set up the software and it just does what you want. And I think of as a consultant, like you said, as you tell them what to do. And it's almost like fractional AI. is kind of in between because you're in-house, but you're still, uh, but you're also doing implementation. Is that a good way to divide it? Because I don't want to be off track. Yeah, no, no. I think that's a
1: perfect way to look at it. Yeah. And and to that point, I think, you know, one of the big challenges with AI is obviously is things are changing, you know, practically on a daily basis. Um, I think we're in that environment where I, I always describe it you're in a rapid changing environment. You know, days feel like weeks and weeks feel like months, months feel like years. You know, that's kind of where AI is right now. And so I think the challenge with trying to be a consultant in that space, consultants typically have like a well-worn You know, set of, of guidelines that they understand, like, Hey, if you do this, here's the best practices for sales. Here's the best practices for finance. Those things have been around for, you know, thousands of years. So the idea that someone can say, I've got the, you know, standard best practices for AI. And as a consultant, I can just drop those at your doorstep and expect that you're going to get good results. I, I think right now that might be unrealistic. I think to your earlier point. Being an agency or being a fractional makes a lot more sense for me.
0: Yeah, because every day, the first thing I do is spend an hour just going through a bunch of news feeds to see which softwares have released an update today, which things have changed, which process has changed, which thing is outdated. And it literally, at least an hour every day of just reading announcements and press releases because it's that fast of a change. What's very interesting in the market right now is that a lot of computer scientists and programmers are flipping over to call themselves ad consultants. And my experience is that whenever I work with a developer, their solution is always a custom piece of software. Like, oh, I'll build a custom integration. And I think right now, that's literally the worst thing that could happen to a company because whatever they build for you, by the time it's finished, will be obsolete. It's like that snake that's constantly eating its own tail. It'll take us six weeks to build it. By the time the six weeks is up, it'll be obsolete. We have to start over again, which is why it seems like right now, especially you really want to leave. You don't want to do anything custom. I want everything offsite because every company is in an arms race. I don't want to accidentally join that AI race. So when I think of what I would do as a fractional AIO and what I teach my audience to do is that you go and you set up the machine and you have to come back every month to just Teach the new updates to keep to tweak the system so you build the machine, but it's constantly changing, which kind of gives you the longevity in your position because it's impossible for anyone, unless it's their full time job. And even with my full time job, I can't keep up with every update. It's literally what I spend most of the week doing, and yet things slip past me. I follow probably 20 people that announce changes every week, and stuff still slips by, even with a thousand Google alerts a day, because there are so many changes, so many product launches. And a lot of products are doing this thing right now where they're adding stealth features. So they'll add a new feature and not tell anyone, which is like, it wasn't, like it wasn't hard enough. So there's such a need just for that. And that's why I think actually bringing in someone fractional makes sense because as a fractional or as a, an agency, you have, keeping up to date helps all of your clients the same. So you don't have to do the same work multiple times. So there is one benefit. When someone is thinking about the pricing structures, a lot of people... That's their first question. Is like, well, how do I charge it? Do I take what a CEO would charge per year and then charge a fraction of that? So, in the space right now, they're saying a fractional an a CAIO starts at one hundred eighty thousand, gets around seventy five thousand in bonuses. So they say two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Do I say, oh, well, I'm only going to work ten percent of the hours, so pay me twenty five thousand dollars a year? Is that the way the math works?
1: Well, I I think you know you you hit on a point a minute ago where. You've got a pooling of this experience. And so there's actually, you could argue that some of the work you're doing for other clients is actually beneficial to each client. And so there, to me, it's not as simple as saying, you know, take the, the total amount that I should make in a year and divide it by the number of hours. And that's how I charge. I think there's actually a higher value out there to tap into because as I'm working on client A, I'm actually benefiting client B indirectly by keeping up. To your point, if, if this were a tried and true, uh, you know, set of best practices, we would just, you know, hire a consultant. They would drop off a, a 20 page, you know, document. Here's how to get it done and we'd go execute on it. But the nature of keeping up with it. So there needs to be some, some amount of compensation for all of the work and effort to staying up to date as well as, you know, learning those best practices and implementing them very much on the fly.
0: That's very interesting. So can you tell me a little bit about how you kind of got into the fractional CTO space? And I know you've also talked about some fractional COO space stuff. So you could talk a little bit about that um, as someone who worked in the space and who hired people in the space and kind of what you see the future of some of these other kind of fractional positions going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the you know the fractional space for me it really started with even even simpler than that so i've owned my own businesses for about 15 years and one of the things you realize running small businesses is that the job that we normally think of as ceo which is you know everyone's going to put the highest title they can on their their linkedin on their business card it's just you know the way we kind of brand ourselves but in reality a small business doesn't need a ceo very often, a CEO in my mind is highest level relationships. It's casting a big vision. Sometimes it's kind of the rah rah within the team, but in the reality, you know, most businesses what they actually need is a COO uh, more often. And a COO in my mind is more about the systems, the process. It's getting everything aligned, making sure that the resources are allocated according to what our goals are. Those are the tasks that a COO does. And, and then obviously a CFO similarly is really a high level specialist. You know, you don't have a CFO who's entering bills and, and, you know, signing checks typically. That's not a true CFO role. It doesn't mean that the person in a small company with that title isn't doing those things, but that's different than it being really the role. And so, you know, to your point, what, what really has happened to me over my career is at first as a CEO, Mastermind groups learning, uh, from other entrepreneurs and then ultimately sharing with other entrepreneurs. Just you become that specialist in everyone's mind for whatever your particular thing is. We're talking a lot today about AI. And so a lot of the people listening are going to be that specialist in their network for AI. And as I became that for finance and in my, um, you know, network and within friends, I became the guy when something was happening, like when the uh, PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program. When that went through, you know, I was getting a million phone calls from friends that just were having to navigate this as a non financial person. They they looked at their phone and said, "Who do I know I can call right now? Who I know is going to be on top of this?" And so, really, I think the the fractional comes from that type of concept is that you are the when somebody doesn't have someone on the team they can escalate to, they look to you and they they pick up their phone and and reach out. And in a fast developing environment like AI you know, that's a huge opportunity to really
0: build a career. Yeah. One of the things that people always hit is the catch 22 of, I don't want to tell anyone I'm an AI specialist until I have someone pay me to be an AI specialist, but no one's going to hire me as an AI specialist if I don't tell anyone. And it's this, I always tell people that if you keep it a secret, no one's ever going to hire you. They're always afraid. People are afraid to change their LinkedIn profiles or build the website. What if someone sees it? Like, well, this is an interesting opportunity because if you're the only one that they know, if you're the only fractional AIO or the only AI expert someone knows, whenever someone else goes to them, Hey, do you know someone who knows a lot about AI? They're always, they don't have any choice to say your name. It's kind of like, if you're the only doctor in town, you don't have to be any good. You don't have to do any marketing, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. You could be the only doctor. And he goes, Hey, do you know a doctor? There's only one.
1: <laughs> yep. It doesn't,
0: you don't need a billboard. You don't need to advertise. You don't even have to be in the yellow pages because you're the only game in town. And right now, That's what's an interesting opportunity because the demand is so huge. Everyone needs AI and it's an interesting time because no one really knows what that means. And it's like such an opportunity for people that can come in and really help these companies because there are difficult waters to navigate. So for people that are kind of worried about that catch-22, that confidence, there's something like, oh, I'm afraid to ask people for money for my expertise. I don't want to tell them I'm an expert until someone's paying me an expert. How can people just break through that barrier in your experience?
1: Yeah, I think two (laughs) things that I would recommend. Number one, realize that the people who are hiring you are less experienced than you, right? We are all on this path, on this journey. We're all at different places, okay? Uh, There is no question that there are financial minds out there that are much stronger than mine. But the people that I work with traditionally are going to be behind me on that journey. And so I'm helping people... You know, you're kind of, you're that Sherpa, right? <laughs> if I'm going to climb a mountain, I'm going to hire a Sherpa. A qualified Sherpa is, I don't, I, I can't tell you whether the Sherpa that I hired is the best Sherpa in the world or not. I know they're a lot better than me and hopefully a lot more experienced and, and can help keep me safe. So as we're on this path, you know, just remember that if you're acting as a Sherpa, even if it's your first time, if you have experience that the people who are hiring you don't have, they're going to have a really hard time understanding where you are in terms of qualification. Now, by, by no means are we suggesting you you know, claim that you're something that you're not, right? We would never advocate that. But having the confidence to say, I do have experience in this. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I talked about a minute ago, people should be compensated for what they're out there learning and what they're implementing. That's actually a two-way street. Not only should you be compensated for it, but that's a big, the biggest way right now that you're going to get better is by working in the space. And so if you're unwilling, exactly to your point, if you're unwilling to claim that you have this skill set, you're not going to be hired for it. And therefore you're missing out on opportunities to actually work more in the field and gain that experience and confidence that you will later feel more proud and and, uh, it'll roll off your tongue a little easier.
0: I think that's really good advice. Because right now... There is nobody with five years of AI consulting experience or two years. Anyone who tells me they have like four years of chat GPT experience, I'm going to be very suspicious, right? I know they're patting that resume because it hasn't been around. Only people have only really been using it for a year. Anyone before that, just a beta tester, wasn't really ready for prime time. So any experience more than a year ago is almost irrelevant because it's like when I was in college, I was a master of MySpace, I'm not going to put that on my resume, right? It's like really good at social media. Friends during MySpace, people like, that doesn't count anymore, right? And that's how fast some technology moves. So, I think that's the critical lesson: is that if you're staying up to date, if you're putting an effort, even if you're just watching YouTube videos every day and if you're using ChatGPT every day, you're already a top one percent AI user because so few people are using it every day, testing things, learning the new experiences. Every time I talk to someone, they're always amazed by things that I consider basic. And that's just because I'm an everyday user. We get that familiarity. It's like when I was learning to drive a car, it took me 13 steps before I would turn in the key, check this mirror, check that mirror, the whole process. Now you just get in, turn the key, and you're driving. You don't even think about it. And we sometimes forget how much distance we've covered. And we're so worried about being the number one AI expert in the world, forgetting most people are still on square zero going, I don't know which one to use. I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know what all these tools mean. So I think that's very, very helpful to remind people that you just have to be a little bit ahead of them. And the only way to really learn how to swim is to get in the water, right? The only, you can't read a book. It's not going to work. And it's this, there's always going to be this fear that you can't deliver for a client. Like Everyone always has that fear and it's such a normal thing. And I guess it's a version of imposter syndrome, right? Thinking, oh, what if I get a client and then I can't do the job? But I mean, they can always fire you. Like That exists, right? It can always fail. You don't want that to happen, but they do have an exit strategy. So what would you say for someone who is kind of on the precipice? They're just about to jump off the fence to encourage them to just go for it.
1: Yeah. I I think you brought up a couple of amazing (laughs) points there. Number one, there's no college degree in AI right now that Anyone out there working has, right? It, exactly to your point, uh, we've really got a, a fast moving environment. And so, you know, I think if you look at the education landscape, you know, people are, are becoming fully educated on, on YouTube through Googling, right? Through following the right uh, people who are, are influencers or, or experts in the area. And so, exactly to your point, you know, we don't need a credential, we need somebody who's living and breathing this. And the other thing that I would suggest is that, you know, I know for me from a financial standpoint, even when I went and got my executive MBA, I, I could run laps around the other people in terms of finance, even people who had been to big schools, you know, fancy work for big, fancy Fortune 500 companies. And the reason was application. And so I would suggest the same thing is that the experience you're going to gain from having a targeted purpose to what you're trying to do versus just generic research is night and day. And, you know, that's what I would suggest is to your point, even if let's say that, you know, someone's going to go out there and they're going to, uh, you know, not have the confidence to just put AI expert. Maybe they're going to say, look, I'm willing to do some work as, as kind of a contractor. You know, in my mind, a contractor is a little bit lower on the totem pole than maybe a consultant or certainly a fractional. But get some reps in, get some some targeted purpose behind the projects you're working on rather than just, I'm going to try and kind of keep you know, a handle on what's going on out there. And you'll build that confidence. And so to your point, whatever the smallest you know, step you can take, rip the Band-Aid off, get out there, do it, and you'll quickly build that confidence. And then when you speak about it, instead of just saying, hey, this is something I'm interested in or here's how I educate myself, you can look back and say, here's what I did for this company. Here's what I did for this company. And here's what I think would fit for you. So that's part of what I would recommend. The other thing is, you know, the, in the technology space, the IT space, let's say, has obviously been around for decades, but IT people from my experience are the Kings of Googling. Like they're not walking in and sitting down and they know every answer. That's not how that space works. And why would it be that way in AI? So, when a company comes to you with a targeted goal, then you are able to do research that's targeted toward that. You're able to Google. You're able to, to watch videos. You're able to look for technology that supports that goal. That is that is the normal path for technology. It is not you walk in and the answers are already in your head, and the minute they ask a question, you're ready to answer them. When it gets that streamlined, will be consulting, right? It won't be fractional, and it won't be working within the company.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to remind people that your qualifications don't really matter. Like, I don't care when I hire someone now, it's can you do the job or not do the job? Not where you went to school. Like the traditional hiring model is, Oh, let me look at your resume. And it's like, well, if I hire you to run social media, I've never met someone with a social media degree that was good at social media. Like I've met everyone I know who've got a huge social media account figured out on their own. It's always these two separate paths. And that's because four years ago, it was all about Vine. Vine doesn't even exist anymore, right? And that's how fast things move. And it's interesting now, I've seen a bunch of universities have launched like AI programs. Now you can get a degree in AI. And it's like, by the time you finish, at least the first three and a half years of it will be completely irrelevant with how fast things change. There are things that I was teaching two weeks ago that have now modified because of an update. So something from four years ago, like it's impossible. And we think that it makes such a big deal. And you're exactly right. People don't, care that much about your qualifications anymore, especially in a technology space. There is this fear. Oh, what if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer. And it's always, well, your my real skill, having been in this business for a long time, is the sniff test, is that I can look at different sales pages or technologies and go, there's something not right here. Like I was testing a couple of AI softwares a few weeks ago, and I realized one of them was faking their AI algorithm. A Regular person wouldn't be able to detect that. Just the ability to detect that is so valuable to tell my client, don't buy this software. There's something not right here. We often think it's, we want the ability to tell them what to buy. telling people what not to buy is so much more valuable saying like these things stay away from these three things. These three things have a problem. It narrows down the field and helps them a lot. So I think this is really awesome. I think that it helps people to start getting that perspective because it's a new space. And that means sometimes it's the wild West and it's hard to find people that can always back up what they're talking about. So it's exciting to bring in someone who's an expert in a parallel fractional industry. And I'd love to let people know where more they can find out about you, where they can connect you online where they can really learn about some of the amazing things you're doing.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so, thanks. so, you know, we've got a website, website uh, com. I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes and then you can look me up on LinkedIn, uh, just Colin Sandberg. And yeah, I mean what, what I'm doing in the, the, uh, CFO kind of space, vaguely in the CFO space, um, is really strategic accounting. So we're helping companies, typically small to mid-sized businesses. They don't know how to add value through their uh, financial side of their business because just entering, you know, credit card bills and reconciling monthly statements adds no value. That doesn't uh, actually help, you know, company owners or executives at all. And that's really where we come in. We believe that exactly like we were talking about earlier, a consultant from the outside just giving you a playbook is not really value added if you don't have anyone on the team who can implement it. And that's what we're doing. We're actually working within uh, the day-to-day and week-to-week of companies. And when it comes time to you know, add value and get better about how they're doing receivables or how they're looking at cash flow, those are all things that we can help with. And we just do it on the fly as we get our jobs done. Okay.
0: So guys, what I want to really point out is that a huge part of growth in my business is alliances, because the more people you know in parallel who don't do exactly what you do, you don't only want AI friends, because what happens if someone comes to me and they say, hey, do you know someone who's like a fractional CFO, somebody who's good at that? Of course, I'm going to say, oh, I know Colin. And the same thing for recommend backwards. So even if you feel nervous, like, oh, he's way too high level for me. Hey, his followers are where you can form those alliances and friendships with people that are starting out that are kind of building their financial journey. So you can start recommending each other because a lot of times companies will bring in one consultant and say, Hey, do you know someone else who does this? This is why SEO agencies and website builders and social media agencies are all friends with each other because they can recommend each other They're not competing with each other. So this is someone worth following. I'll definitely put a link to your website and the LinkedIn in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, Colin. This was an amazing episode of the artificial intelligence podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Artificial Intelligence Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back next Monday with more tips and tactics on how to leverage AI to escape that rat race. Head over to ArtificialIntelligencePod.com now to see past episodes, leave a review, and check out all of our socials.